Thank you so much for that reading this morning. Good morning to you. Lovely to be back with you once more. Music is uh, closely associated with Christmas. You can think of uh, Handel's Messiah with its Hallelujah Chorus. You can think of Bing Crosby, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Or Frank Horton's beautiful carol, and if you don't know it, I commend it to you. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor. Music and singing songs are part of Christmas. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because it has been from the beginning. You read the Gospel of Luke and you'll discover that surrounding the birth of Jesus was music and song and singing. Last week we looked at Mary's song, that which we know or call the Magnificat. And today we move on to the song of Zechariah, that which is become known to us as the Benedictus, taken from that first word that you get in the 68th verse of that first chapter of Luke. Mary's song was very much one of adoration, adoration of the God who acts mightily. For Zechariah, his song is one of celebration of those mighty acts of this great God. He, he takes up the echoes of the past and he, he melts them into an outpouring of exultant hope and praise and joy. The outline of the message for the morning you will find at the back of your bulletin. Because the three major things I want to just put before you is simply this, that we find in this song recorded for us in that first chapter of Luke, we find Zechariah rejoicing in the sovereign's involvement in lives here on earth. And then his recognition of the scripture's fulfillment, that God's word has come to pass. And then thirdly, Zechariah's reflection on the Savior's accomplishment. Why did he come? His rejoicing in the sovereign's involvement. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had lived a long and, and happy life together. The only shadow that fell across their saintly lives was the fact that they were childless. They had prayed. Oh, they had prayed. But the heavens had seemed as brass. And yet they're both described as being righteous before God. In the fullness of time, Zechariah was chosen of God and had the privilege that comes only once in a lifetime to enter the holy place, minister at the altar, 
and make morning and evening intercessions for the people. And at the hour of incense, the whole multitude of the people were praying, and heaven came down. I refer you to Acts, rather to Luke chapter 1 and verse 11. Luke chapter 1 verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Your prayer has been heard. How inconvenient how confusing they had been praying for years because you see when you have children you need to be young you need to be fit you need to be able to be active but now how does he describe himself and his wife in verse 18 I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years But God had heard their prayers and had only been waiting for the right time, for the proper time, 
for the set time for the answer to be sent down from heaven. Because you see, when we pray, shall we pray in Jesus' name? Which is not just a little fancy magical formula that we add to the end of our praying. But a surely confession that in our prayers we bow in submission to the Lord's agenda. That he will answer if it please him. And that he will answer at a time that is suitable to him and not to us. God had come down and involved himself in the affairs of man. Thus, for Zechariah, it was personal. Because you think of the the when, and you think of the what, and you think of the who. Because you see, in in a sense, Zechariah is like a cameo of Israel itself. When? His years of waiting, hoping for a child, akin to Israel, waiting expectantly for a Messiah to come. And what? His months of silence during Elizabeth's pregnancy akin to the 400 years of silence because there had been no prophetic voice since the days of Malachi, that period of time which we call that intertestamental period, that period between the end of the Old and the beginning of the New Testament when there was no word heard from heaven. And the who? You will call his name John. And the significance of that name is what inspires this song of Zechariah. For what what is the message that is bound up in this name? What does John mean? It means Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. Call him John, because I'm going to manifest to a watching world my grace. God's grace is now coming to appear. And it was that name and what it signified that calls forth this celebration of this old priest. His name is John. And Zechariah's song celebrates all those mighty acts of God which are the outcome of the fact incorporated in that name, the mighty acts of God's merciful and matchless grace. Heaven is no longer silent. God has spoken once again, and his message is a message and a promise of grace. Sovereign grace, a sufficient grace, a saving grace. Zechariah rejoices in God's sovereign involvement in his life personally and thus purposefully. John's birth and Jesus' birth 
were not accidents, but the result of divine ordering and planning and purpose. And Zechariah uses one key word to highlight this theme. You have your Bibles open there in Luke chapter 1 and verse 68. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has marked the word, note the word, for he has visited, visited and redeemed his people. And you go over to the 78th verse. Because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us, visit us from on high. Visit. Not simply implying that God has come down to us, but a term and a word that signifies that God has come down authoritatively to see and to act. The word portrays God coming to his people in order to do something for them, in order to come and to bless them, to intervene personally, in order to relieve their misery. These are the thoughts contained in this little word visit. It's the picture that you get in your Older Testament. There in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7 and 8. Where God came down because he had seen the misery of the children of Israel. You have your Bible there. Turn over with me to that portion. Exodus chapter 3. Let me read to you verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and to a broad land. He has come to visit his people. The literal meaning is. God's purpose is to come and to govern his people. And to govern his people in grace. And so Zechariah sings. Because the drought has broken. The silence has been shattered. The heavens have opened. The message has been given. His name is John. What can you expect? Amazing grace. Abounding grace. Awakening grace. Assuring grace. Grace for all, rich and free. God's grace is personal. It came to this man and caused him to burst forth into song. God's grace is purposeful. For you notice how Zechariah mentions the fruit of grace in God's various actions here. Verse 68 His grace in redeeming his people. Verse 69, raising up a horn of salvation. Terms that point us to Christ himself. 
Verse 71 and 74, God's grace coming to us in order to save us from our enemies. Verse 77, God's grace coming to us to forgive us our sins. You see, what gives this elderly priest the conviction behind this carol, this hymn of hope, this song of salvation, is the Spirit of God has come to him and pointed him back to the Word of God. For you see how it even begins, beloved, the beginning of verse 68. Blessed, says Zechariah, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Praise God. Why? Well, the next word in your Bible, that's either because or for. We praise God for the things that he is about to do for us. The things that he is doing for us. For he has visited. For he has redeemed. For the whole of the rest of the song supplies us with the reasons why it is that Zechariah bursts forth into song. The word of God shapes this song. His theology forms his hymnody as it ought to do with ours. There is here the rejoicing that God is no longer distant. God has come and is involved personally and purposefully in our world. But then notice secondly, There is a recognition here in this song that Scripture, God's Word, has come to pass. The Scripture's fulfillment. Because with the divine visitation, Zechariah sees that God has not only heard his people's prayers, but he keeps his own promises, the promises of God. Because notice what he says here again in his song. Look at verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. God was now doing what he had always promised to do. Micah spoke of this time, as did Isaiah and Jeremiah. Abraham looked forward to it, along with Moses and David. And they, though we might say they looked through a glass darkly, they knew that the day would dawn when Messiah would come, when the promises would be fulfilled. And you remember the words of our Lord himself when he declared, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So that what this song is saying to us is this. Not only will this this mighty Savior, the reference to the, the horn of salvation, be the fulfillment of the promises made to David a thousand years ago, 
But the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham of old. That oath which is recorded in Genesis chapter 22. And those promises given way back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. To Zacharias, God is declaring that that in your own day, the eternal plan that has been unfolding from the beginning is now to be made manifest. So Zechariah bursts forth into praise. God has not forgotten his covenant. God has not forgotten his oath. The sacred thread of God's mercy is to be seen in the history of Israel. In other words, what this age uh, priest is teaching us is that the Old Testament is, is not merely a collection of unrelated writings. No, no, no. There is a unity here in the Scripture. There is a beauty here. There's a great unifying theme. Oh, you may have poetry and prose and hymns and history and you may have prophets and so forth. The various kinds of literature that may be there. But they are one. The promise that one day God will break into history by sending a forerunner, John, and the Messiah, Jesus. And he will meet man's greatest need. That the Old Testament is God's unfolding drama of redemption. Zechariah sees the fulfillment of God's promises. And furthermore, he sees that related to the very providence of God. Because you see, prayer... And the divine providence are closely related. They stand in in, in close companionship. All of our our prayers about the intervention of the, the providence of God in the affairs of man. Because what is what is providence? What do we mean when we speak of divine providence? Surely, it's the divine superintendency over earth and its affairs. Behind all the actions, behind everything that is happening, God stands there. He is working out His promises. He is Lord of all the lords and even today King of all the kings and prime ministers and premiers. This is still my Father's world. He is working out His promises. The delay... In answering Zacharias and Elizabeth's prayer for a child was not due to some divine busyness that God was too busy doing this and that to think of their prayers. Or it was not a matter of indifference that God thought, well, he's this two folk. I'm not really concerned about them. I'm concerned about what's happening in Israel and Babylon and so forth. No, no, no. It wasn't the result this this hesitation, this divine delay was not due to divine busyness or indifference but it was due to the very provenance of God in his purposes for this world I'm thinking of the words of the apostle Paul that you find in his letter to the Galatians Galatians chapter 4 
and verse 4. Galatians 4 and verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, it was then God sent forth his son. When the time was just right, God answers the prayers of Zechariah. When the time is just right, the angel comes to Mary. And allow me to remind you of certain things that lay behind these words, fullness of time, as they relate to the coming of Christ and to that of John. And for time's sake, let me simply quote to you from the words of John Stott. He says it was the time, and I'm thinking of course the time when Jesus was to come. It was the time when Rome had conquered and subdued the known inhabited earth. When Roman roads had been built to facilitate travel and Roman legions had been stationed to guard them. It was also the time when the Greek language and when Greek culture had given a certain cohesion to society. At the same time, the old mythological gods of Greece and Rome were losing their hold on the common people so that the hearts and minds of men everywhere were hungry for a religion that was real and satisfying. Further, it was the time when the law of Moses had done its work of preparing men for Christ, holding them under its prison so that they, they longed to be free, that freedom that Christ offered. When the fullness of time had come, so Christ came. And friends, what a time it was. There's been no time in the world before like it or since. Perfect timing by the perfect God. You can think of, think of, think of the time in the sense of the ministry of the apostles and early missionaries. We are acquainted with some of the difficulties that missionaries have had in over past years and even currently. But you think of this world into which Jesus came and the apostles went. There was safety of travel, both in land and sea. No passports or visas were needed. No language training was needed because everyone spoke common Greek language. With the development of the the synagogue system, there were ready-made congregations wherever the apostles went. In the earlier days, when the Old Testament had been translated into Greek, there was no need to do any Bible translation work. Everybody understood the Bible in their own language. And so it was, John Calvin said, John, Jesus came when the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. The perfect time. He fulfills his purposes. He comes at the perfect time. The old priest sings for joy because of the sovereign's involvement and because of scripture's fulfillment. But then he also sings the song of salvation thirdly because of the Savior's accomplishment. 
Because filled with the Spirit of God, Zechariah prophesies the greatest truth of what? Of redemption. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And what is redemption? But God delivering His people from bondage by the payment of a price. And here he's not speaking, referring back to the, the bondage of the, 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 of the Egyptians or bondage to the Babylonians or even the current situation of Israel of being in bondage to the power of Rome. But surely he is speaking here of, of that, that, that bondage to sin, that captivity to the corruption of our own hearts. That Christ has come to redeem us, to set us free, to liberate us from guilt and the sin that corrupts and pollutes and even that passion that drives us. To set us free from the power of the devil. And Jesus would pay the price for the offering up of himself. Our sin bearer, our substitute, that one sacrifice for sin, redeemed, I don't know whether you sing it, we used to sing it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. This is what he speaks about. Why has John come? To prepare the way for the coming of the Savior, who would redeem people who are captive in bondage, in darkness, in prison. Redemption. But not only that, in addition, God's grace, God's grace, which this priest sings about, points us to the element and to the aspect of remission. Remission. Look at verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. And what is that salvation? The forgiveness of their sins. The forgiveness of their sins. And all through the Old Testament, God's forgiveness has been the first benefit of his covenant with his people. The whole sacrificial system was designed to picture that and to present that. It's the point, is it not, of the writer of the Hebrews, that he, that he refers back to the old covenant and then speaks about the new covenant. And what are the great joys, the great blessing, the great benefit of the, the new covenant? What is God's word to us through the new covenant? Oh, beloved, is this great word, this magnificent word, this assuring word. He says, I will remember your sins no more. No more. Those sins that I committed yesterday. Those sins I committed this morning. Apart from the sins of my youth. God says I will remember your sins no more. Because Jesus bore them all. Redemption. Dealing with the power of sin. Remission, dealing with the pardon of sin. But then there's a third element, that of renewal. Renewal, dealing with the pollution of sin. Look at verse 74 and 75. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Beloved, here is biblical salvation. Here is the full gospel. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. But salvation is more, much more than simply the forgiveness of sins. It is a a new life that is characterized by serving, says the song, without fear in holiness and righteousness. You see, what is he talking about here? Well, if I may put it in theological language, remission points us to that, that term justification. And renewal points us to that term sanctification. And beloved, both are inseparable. Both are elements of that salvation that Christ purchased for us. Salvation is being forgiven, but it is also being given a new life. A life of holiness and righteousness that we are to live before God and that we are to manifest before our our families and our friends and our neighbors and so forth. Salvation is both of these things. And someone has defined it and described it in this way. They're like two legs of a pair of trousers. You think about it. Two legs in a pair of trousers. They're distinct. The one is not the other. They cannot be confused. But they are inseparable. The legs of a pair of trousers cannot be separated. If they are, you no longer have a pair of trousers. The left and the right legs make a pair of trousers in the same way. That only together... The remission of sins and moral renewal of life make salvation. It's more than forgiveness. So let me apply it this way. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question. What do you love the Lord for more? The forgiveness of your sin or the renewal of your life? The forgiveness of your sin or the renewal of your life? You see, there is a sense in which forgiveness is a means to an end. Wonderful as forgiveness is and essential as it is, What God desires and designs is not simply that we be forgiven, but that we be conformed to the image and the likeness of his Son. That we come to live and to love as his children ought to live and love. The Zacharias song of salvation is a salvation that results in serving him in holiness and righteousness. 
It's that same salvation that Paul speaks of in his early verses of Ephesians chapter 1, where he uses all those big theological terms, but the conclusion is so that we may be before him holy, holy people. And so I draw to a close this morning this way. In response to my question, surely the answer is, we love both remission and renewal. For both have been purchased by Christ and given to us freely by his grace. And both are essential. For you cannot get into heaven without forgiveness. And likewise, it is also true that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So that you see, Christianity is, is not just a, a casual thing. It's not just a, a careless thing. It's not just a, a one-off thing. But as one author has described it, it is a long obedience in the same direction. It's not just believe in a moment and then live as you like, John 3.16. Whoever believes in it and keeps on believing. It's a life that is lived by the grace of God. So that yes, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet in reality... True saving faith is never alone. Because there is no justification, there is no forgiveness of sins that does not and is not accompanied by the deliverance that Zechariah sings of or the discipline that he states of holiness and righteousness. So when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his servant, the forerunner, And then he sent forth his son, Christ Jesus. And then he sent forth his spirit. Because the God who worked for us by his son, historically, 2,000 years ago on the cross, is also the God who works in us by his spirit. Zechariah blesses God and praises God because he is a God who is involved in lives. He is a God who fulfills his word. He is a God who has accomplished salvation. His name is John. Jehovah is gracious. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And Zechariah spoke, praising God. John brought such joy to this man. And can we not relate that to ourselves today? For what does the coming of God's grace to us bring but praise and blessing and joy? As I said earlier, that grace that is sovereign that grace that is sufficient and that grace that that saves. And so I just say it this Christmas, 
Let us give our own thanks to God, even as Zechariah did. You know, to to say or to, to sing our own benediction. Because God has remembered us and met our needs in his own son. A work so wonderful, so marvelous, so complete and so costly that it will only be in glory that we will appreciate the wonder of his grace. That it will only be in glory we'll recognize how amazing God's grace has been to us. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold the city. Until the day God calls me home. We bless and praise his glorious name. And may God bless his word to us this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, this aged priest was moved. Moved by your spirit. Because of this news, a promise fulfilled. Grace was coming. Coming to him and to his home and to the world. And Father, we pray, take out of our hearts that coldness, that hardness, that used to Christmas thing, and grant to each of us, our Father, a fresh touch that we may rejoice and be glad. And as Mary couldn't help but sing, and as Zechariah couldn't help but sing, we too will sing a song to our God. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Grant it to us. Such a visitation we pray to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.